0: Eans is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shaft Speaker Series. This week, Barb Steinberg from www.barbsteinberg.com shares deciphering girls' friendships. This is one of my all-time favorite things to do every year, so I'm so happy to be invited back and allowed back. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about me, in case you know, just so that you know why am I even listening to this lady. So I am a parent coach. I'm a social worker. I'm a parent coach for moms and dads of teen and tween girls. I am a teen life coach for girls ages 15 to 25, and I have a few awesome women on my team that coach girls 12 to 25. And we coach them one-on-one, weekly, on a wide variety of issues, but really what we're trying to do is, my ultimate goal in my work, whether I'm speaking or coaching, is to help girls to connect with themselves, and then to help and support parents to raise healthy, happy, connected girls. So... And then, of course, I do workshops like this in my home, your home, libraries, conferences, you know it. Um, And also, because friendships is probably, it's one of the top topics that I'm asked to either coach on or speak on, I recently just created a 10-module Girls Friendships 101 course for parents. It's in the editing room right now. I'm hoping that will be out in the next month, so I'll let you guys know that via um, my monthly newsletter Facebook page. So, okay, so friendships, anytime I give a talk on friendships, I kind of wish that I had three hours, because there's just so much awesome information to share. I'm big on not just sharing theory, but really sharing practical tools that you guys can use with your girls to help them on a day-to-day basis. So we only have an hour. What I'm gonna do, I tried to pick out some common scenarios that you might find your girls in, um, and then give you some tools for those different scenarios. So I'm going to, you know, we're not going to be able to go super deep, but I'm going to do the best I can. But I really want to make sure that we leave room for questions and answers because I think a lot of magic happens when you guys are asking your personal questions. So I'm going to go as fast as I can through um, the information I want to offer you. So uh, when it comes to our girls, um, before adolescence, when they're little, for those of you that have elementary girls, you know that where they get their main source of intimacy is at home family relationships. But once they enter adolescence, that's when they're beginning to separate from their family of origin and they're beginning to form a new tribe. So as they're withdrawing from you guys, they're actually creating a new family, so to speak. And the reason why I use those terms is because it really exemplifies why these relationships are so emotionally impactful and why they make some of the choices that they make because they're really creating a new tribe and a new family. So they're asking questions about their new tribe. They're asking, you know, is this the right tribe for me? Do I like this tribe? Do I think this tribe likes me? Do I feel like, uh, what are the costs and benefits of being part of this tribe? Do I want to find a new tribe? What do I do about the people in my tribe that I don't really like? So there's a lot of questioning that's going in to figuring out who your people are. That leads me to popularity. Has anybody ever heard their girls talk about popular girls? Even express wanting to be popular? Yeah. I hear I hear about that a lot in, in my office for sure. And to be honest with you, I even have some parents, you know, I think in their honest moments, they might say, I would like my daughter to be popular. I feel like her life would be easier if she were popular. So why? Why do girls seek popularity? Well, from their point of view, it's gonna give them some social status, it's gonna give them some power. It's going to give them tribal membership to a tribe that is sought after and has power. So you can see the positives from their point of view about why they might seek that. Researchers did some really interesting um, research on popularity, and they found a few different groups. So one is sociometric popularity. That's where you're well-liked, you're considered kind and fun, but you're not necessarily considered popular. And then there's perceived popularity, where a girl is... Girls or people in the school will say, yes, she's popular, but she's not necessarily well-liked. And then there's a third group, and that is where girls are both friendly and assertive. So they're considered kind and fun and well-liked and popular as well. That friendly and assertive piece is what a lot of girls are striving to be, but it's hard to achieve that. That assertive piece especially, which is what we're going to talk about. So mean girls. I don't really love that description, but just for the sake of this conversation. Um, I think as adults, when we think about girls, a girl that is repeatedly mean, we might think, you know, why, how can that girl have any friends? Why would she have any friends? And actually, they do have friends. They are not alone and isolated in general um, because girls fear her and they indulge her. They obviously don't want to be the target of her meanness. So they know that that mean girl threatens their tribal membership to their tribe. So they know that she holds power. And for girls in particular, they, I say this in every talk about girls' friendships, but girls in particular, they have a primal need for attachment. That word primal says it all. So if you have a primal need for attachment, then you have a very different response to loss or potential loss, perceived loss. So there's a huge fear of being isolated. So that explains a lot of their decisions as well. It comes down to almost survival. By 10th grade, girls feel a little bit more, in general, a little bit more secure in themselves and who they are. And because they do, they can ignore the mean girl or they might isolate or separate from her to protect themselves. But in seventh grade, they're more vulnerable because they've just begun to separate from their tribe, their family, and they're forming this new tribe. So in seventh grade, because of brain development and because of what's going on with creating a new tribe, girls are, there's a peak of meanness in seventh grade. Maybe some of you have seen this. I know I've seen it in my child's middle school. And there's more um, tolerance for meanness amongst girls because they're, again, trying to find and keep that tribe. So they put up with a little bit more. I love these two questions coming from the book Untangled by Lisa D'Amour, my all-time favorite book written about girls. I love these two questions, which are, is she popular or is she powerful? To ask your girls again to reflect on her social life and what's happening um, in her world. Is she popular or is she powerful? And then second one, do kids like her or are they afraid of her? I love that question as well. It really, it's, she, even if she doesn't even answer or doesn't even answer honestly, you've now put a seed in her mind to think about it. Super important. So, and popularity, there, there's a bit of a downside I I see to popularity as well. And maybe you do too, where it's hard work. It's hard work to manage all of these friendships, all of these personalities. Um, If I'm, you know, I'm going to have a sleepover at my house on Friday if, if I have all of these friendships, I have to think about who am I going to invite, what's going to happen to the girls that I don't invite, how am I going to manage all of those hurt feelings. I had one client who did an absolutely beautiful job uh, figuring this out for herself. She was going to have a birthday party, and she had this friend group. They all knew each other. They all hung out. And so she invited them to her birthday party, which was, I guess, I think it was a, lake, a sleepover at her family lake house. And... She had this one really great friend that wasn't good friends with this friend group, and she knew that it would be kind of awkward and weird, and her singular friend would not feel super comfortable and have a super great time. So she went to that friend one-on-one on her own and said, you know, this is what's happening. I'm having a birthday party. It's with these girls. And she explained, which is no surprise to this girl, and she said, but you are a really good friend of mine, and I want to celebrate with you With you for my birthday, and I'm wondering if we can have our own, go out to dinner and sleep over just me and you. And it, it was handled so beautifully, and her friends took it so well, and she ended up having a beautiful birthday with all of her friends. And I thought it was such a kind, respectful way to manage the trickiness of the landscape of her relationships. She came up with that one all her own. I cannot take any credit. So small tribes actually come with less calculations, so there's some, there's some plus to that for our girls. We talked a minute ago about self-assertion. So if you're in a relationship, if you're in a friendship, you're definitely going to get mad at each other at some point, right? It's just human nature. Somebody's going to annoy somebody or say something that's offensive or so forth. So teaching our girls to be self-assertive in their friendships is key, because that's such an important life skill in general. So I'll give you an example, one of the one that just broke my heart. She, it really well. I might have been more brokenhearted than her, but she had a friend group last year. Summer happens, she comes back to school, and she gave a lot of thought. This friend group, she liked them, but I don't think they were 100% her people, and she was trying to figure out who her people were. Where is my tribe? And she gave it a lot of thought, so she goes to school next year. It's now lunchtime in the cafeteria, and she made a conscious effort to sit at a different table than her friend group from last year to explore new friendships. That did not go over well with her old friend group. That is seen as being disrespectful. So what they did, the sort of leader, I guess, of the group, um, created a four-minute video about all the things that she did not like about my client. Four minutes with someone talking about what she doesn't like is a long time, right? That's like an hour. And And, of course, shared that with lots of people so they could hear that. So she, she was unable to find the courage to say to my client, that really hurt my feelings. It makes me feel like you rejected me. It makes me feel like you don't want to be my friend anymore. It makes me feel like you think they're better than me, and that hurts my feelings. So that's the piece to coach our girls on. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So assertiveness, the art of self-assertion, standing up for yourself while being respectful of others. The key for us as the adults in their lives to teach them this is to first and foremost acknowledge and validate their feelings. So if you're anything like me as a parent, I'm a big fan of jumping to the solution really quick, which is not always so helpful. I don't do it with my clients, but sometimes with my kid I always do it. Not always. So if we can take a moment and, and ask ourselves what is she feeling in this moment or ask her, she might be able to tell us. And acknowledge those feelings so I can understand you feeling betrayed. I understand that you're hurt. I'm so sorry that you're disappointed. So acknowledge and validate. Now she knows before you said another word that you understand where she's coming from. She feels heard, seen, and understood. Probably the most important thing we can do as parents. Secondly, now there's going to be some coaching if she's open to it, to what is she going to do So let's say that she has a friend, and she shared her personal problems, her personal information with her friend. And her friend gets mad at her, and her friend decides to share that with other people. So now she's angry. And they might not use that word. They might say, I'm super annoyed, like, you know, Kelsey is so annoying. And really, you're like, so you're angry at Kelsey. And to help them to be able to label their emotions. So... The question is, what are you gonna do with that anger? So we're trying to teach, what are your thoughts and feelings about the situation and what do you wanna do about it? Those are your actions, they're separate. So you can be super angry, you know, you can be pissed and you can be upset and you can be sad and all of these feelings. How are you gonna not act impulsively, right? How are you gonna put down the phone and wait till you have calmed down a little bit before you respond? What are you gonna do with your anger? So remember, they don't have a developed frontal lobe. That's where the planning is. That's where the lack of impulse is. And that's where we come in to help them with that, if they're open to it. timing is everything, isn't it? Timing is everything. So the example that I gave you, you might first validate by saying, you know, anyone would feel embarrassed by, Kelsey, sharing your personal information like that. Anybody would. And... um, You have a right to those feelings, but it's not okay for you to act it out in a hurtful way. So then you might, if she's willing to be coached with language, to be given words, you might encourage her to say to her friend, you know, you really hurt me when you shared my personal information with everybody. And I get it that you're mad at me, and it's okay for you to be mad at me, but I wish that you would have told me in a different way. Those are, you know, that's, I think, in working with teens, and to be honest, even, you know, being an adult, I think that those, that's hard to do, to be that direct and that honest. It's a pretty vulnerable place to be. So sometimes we're giving these suggestions, and they might not use them right away, and that's okay, because these are life skills. And so maybe she's not going to use it with Kelsey in this moment, but next year she'll use it the next time that she's hurt by a friend. So there might be a lot of Monday morning, morning quarterbacking on your part, but it doesn't mean that it's not super important and helpful for them to hear. The, I know I do a lot of role playing in my office where um, first I am her, my client, your daughter, and she's the mean girl or the friend that's heard her because I don't know that person, so I don't know how they would react. And then we switch roles, and she gets to practice her words, and I've given her a little example by me going first. So sometimes, maybe you've seen this, that there's a group of girls and your daughter's a part of this group and some of the members of the group have chosen to ostracize or ditch one of the members of the group. And your daughter's sharing this with you. So obviously that can instill some fear in her. Sometimes they jump on the bandwagon because of that fear. But what we can say is, You know, those girls probably have their reasons for not wanting to hang out with Ella right now. They could have let her know that in um, a kinder way. What would you do if you were in their shoes? What if you didn't want to hang out with Ella anymore? What would you do with that? How would you show her? To let her find another way, you know, a more respectful, kind way. How can I distance from someone that I don't really want to hang out with so much anymore? and be respectful at the same time. And that's where you guys can do some brainstorming together. If she's open, come to those conversations with your own wonderful ideas. And then I ask, you know, I, I say, oh, I have some ideas about that. Would you like to hear them? I realize that 100% of the time I get a yes because I'm not their mother. But I have a feeling, I see over and over that often when we present it that way and we give them the power to say yes or no, they're more willing to listen. So what do you say to your daughter when she has a frenemy? Um, I'll give you three examples, but and you'll get the gist of what works for you. But know that if we really come in guns a how's she's going to react. She's going to be like, I'm inviting her over for a three-day sleepover. <laughs> get some pizza. Yeah, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing here. So we have to ease into it. I like, you know, like... Coming through the back door sometimes. So you might say something like, you guys have a lot of fun together. I can totally see why you like Ella. But real friends don't do things that that hurt each other over and over. Or real friends aren't that unkind or mean to each other. Or you might say, it's totally up to you if you want to hang out with Ella, which they love to hear. Totally up to you if you want to hang out with Ella. I wouldn't say, but I always say, and when I want to say, but because the minute they hear a, but they're like, "Mm, no, not listening. So I might say, um, you know, it's up to you whether you want to keep hanging out with Ella. If you do be careful, because history shows that her niceness may not last. And you can leave it at that. Sometimes when we begin a conversation like that, our inclination is I have 30 minutes of more things I want to say to you about this very important topic. I was listening for 10 words. So if we can keep it short and sweet, that's always helpful. And we love you, and we hate to see you put yourself in a position where you repeatedly get hurt. You know, that, these are tricky things to say out loud because there might be some resistance, resistance, but they're still important to say for sure. You guys know, especially by middle school, that we can't control our girls' friendships as much as we would want to sometimes. Um, all we can do is support and hold up a mirror and help them to see, and we do that through being as non-judgmental as we can be when we're in front of them. And leading with curious questions, asking them, and having them reflect and come up with those answers on their own, rather than us telling them, this is who that girl is, and this is why you shouldn't hang out with her. We know that it's tricky for girls. If they break up with one girl, they can lose several friends, right? So that's, that's another reason why they don't necessarily break up with a friend that they might want to. And helping her strategize with a girl that might feel like a frenemy in front of me and her group, how can she manage that on a day-to-day basis? So you might come up with some examples or strategies. You might say, well, what about at lunch when you guys are sitting at the table together? Could you sit on the other end of the table? Or you might say, okay, it feels unsafe around Emma. What do you think about When you're around Emma, that you're a little bit more careful about not sharing personal or you keep the conversation light and a little bit more surfacey. So just a couple of examples of how to help her to figure out how to protect herself a little bit. And this last one, I've had um, lots of moms share examples with me where especially, you know, when you're in the car and, and she's let's say you've got three or four girls in the car and you get to hear kind of how they interact and how they speak to each other and what they're thinking. So she had to gently point out to her daughter, when you do that, this is showing your friends who you are and it's letting them know that you might also do that to them when they're not around. So it's just something to consider. So let's say that didn't go over well, but it was still important for her to hear it, her sarcasm or her teasing. So you might be a little bit more savvy and see that, that might not go over well with her friends. To find a window of opportunity when you think she's open to hearing that feedback so that her friends don't have to dump her as a way of saying, I don't like your teasing. Not everything should be a teachable moment, as I said before. It's really, we've got a lot of listening, asking questions and listening rather than teaching. Um, for example, uh, with my teenager, I think he was, I, have a, I only speak and teach about girls. Of course, with given a boy. And he was in sixth grade, and there was a situation where they were kind of, they were in class and messing around, and he was doing something to one of his friends in a joking way, and another girl grabbed a phone and took a video of it and said, I'm going to spread this video around the school, and I'm going to show people what you're really like. Um, You know, people are going to know that you're, I don't even know what her words were, but it was obviously negative. And I could tell that it was a really Deals him. He was really upset about it, and my normal way of reacting was help him to sigh for it to be a teachable moment for me to teach him something about this. And for some reason, some wisdom dropped into my brain, and I zipped it, and I didn't do any of that, and I just looked at him because I could see how upset he was, and I just said, "That sounds really hard. I'm sorry that I." Have and he slowly looked at me. First of all, it's like, who are you? And the second of all, I just watched him. It was he was literally saying to his eye, you get it. This is really hard. So that in and of itself was very healing for him. If you have high school, if you have high schoolers, then maybe you've seen this where some of their friends or their peers are choosing a little bit more of a riskier path. Maybe they have a little wild streak, or they like to break the rules, or uh, test limits. There was a study done by Lawrence Steinberg, no relation, nation, and he had this great study where he brought teens in and he had them play video games. And he videotaped them playing video games and he told them, you're going to receive points for risky behavior, and you're going to lose points for cautious behavior. He videotaped them alone, playing those games, and with other teens, with their peers in the room. I think you can imagine what you So the late teens, so above 16, and then uh, young adults, they were riskier with their peers in the room. And then the young teens, ages 13 to 16, were twice as risky with their peers in the room, and if they were in the room. So why is that? Maybe you guys have heard. Um, you know, teenagers love social acceptance, And it's highly rewarding when they get it. So when their peers are in the room, and their peers are in it and involved and excited and, you know, um, encouraging them, the dopamine neurotransmitter in their brain is going crazy and releasing lots of it, a lot more than we get as adults. And so it's highly rewarding. It feels really good and you want more of that so it, tell, it tells us why they seek that social acceptance by doing and making risky decisions. So they obviously want to look cooler in the eyes of their tribe. Where we come in is we can, um, I'll use the example of having a party at your house. So if we aren't the cool parents, if we so if we're bringing in the kegs for the party at our house and we're seeing as the cool parents, then our child doesn't really, they can't really use us as the reason for not engaging in certain behaviors that they're not ready to engage in, or they don't want to, or it's scary to them, whatever the case may be. So they can use us as the bad guys to say no to this party, or I can't have a drink or alcohol at this party because my parents, you know, will flip out and come around three me, and they can make us us look crazy. They'll say, my parents are crazy, their rules are insane. Um, You can also have a code word. You know, I know some families have done this too. So let's say your daughter's at a party, and you guys have um, a code phrase. And she calls you. She feels uncomfortable, feels unsafe for whatever reason. She doesn't want to be there, and she says, um, "You know, my curl—I left my curling iron." On. What's say. And then she knows what your reaction is going to be because you have this pre-planned, and she's holding the phone out because you're screaming and yelling and saying, I'm coming to pick you up right now. I've told you a thousand times not to do that, blah, blah, blah. And so she knows you're on your way. Just an example. You can come up with whatever code word works. It doesn't have to be a curling iron. So, yes, if they get to use us in order to make better decisions that they want to make, but they want to save face in front of their tribe to maintain that membership. There are times when her friends are in trouble or they're really worried about their friends and they need you. They need some support and some guidance. So an example might be, you know, her friend um, decides to bring a flask of vodka to ACL or her friend just broke up with a long-term boyfriend and seems depressed to her and she's worried about her friend, she's concerned. Girls form groups with the expressed purpose of leaving adults out. So it's seen as a massive betrayal to go to an adult to get help. So it's, it's a very um, precarious position for you to be in because sometimes we hear information and our first inclination might be like, I need to call the school, I need to call that girl's parents, and we might need to take a moment to just consider if that is necessary, and there certainly are times it is, or if you can give her the guidance and the tools to help her with this situation without betraying her friends' trust and her trust of you. So the more that we can respect their tribal loyalty, the more they're willing to come to us. So there are times that girls are in trouble to the degree that not only do they need an adult, they need a mental health professional. So girls engaging in self harm, such as cutting, or excessive drinking, or drugs, or um, suicidal thoughts or actions, or um, eating disorders, other dangerous behavior. So this is a lot. And a lot of girls feel like if I am a good friend, then I'm going to help you manage this. I'm gonna support you and I'm gonna be there for you. And it's really out of her realm. So our message to our girls in a situation like that is it's not your job to save her. You can't save her. We need an adult involved who's trained to help her. It's not your job to save her. So I love these words, um, giving her some form of words to share with her friend who's having a really hard time by saying, um, you know, you're having a hard time, and I don't have what you need to help you. We need to get you an adult that can help you. And if you're not willing to go to an adult, I am. It's more important for me to help you be safe than for you to be happy with me all all the time. Again, that's hard to say, but it takes it off of your daughter's shoulders so that she knows it's not her job. And and some girls also I advise that they give kind of a time limit. Like I need you to go to an adult by the end of school today or I'm going to go to Christy and share it with her so I can make sure that you're safe. And I really like the part about it's more important to me that you be safe and you be happy with me all the time. I think that's pretty powerful. Again, in the book, Untangled, um, she talks about, I love this analogy, the haunted house. She talks about how girls, their dark feelings, so if they're engaging in any of these types of risky behaviors, they're having some dark feelings inside, right? And their dark feelings are like a haunted house that they're carrying inside of themselves, and it's scary to go into this haunted house, and they don't wanna go alone. They want your daughter to come with with them. So they're texting your daughter over and over how they're feeling, what a hard time they are, and your daughter's getting more and more worried, more and concerned or scared. So we talk about with girls, we say it's not your job to go into the haunted house with her. She needs an adult for that. So the kindest thing that you can do for your friend is to help hook her up with an adult. If she keeps texting your daughter or bringing it up with your daughter, she can kind of have a rote response, which will send a really clear message. Have you talked to the counselor about that? Have you talked to your therapist about that? Have you talked to your mom or dad about that? She can keep saying that, which really sends the message, like, I can't handle this, but this adult in your life can. And she can also send another kind of unspoken agreement the next day when they get to school to not bring up those texts from last night but to move on talk about other things, which is sending the message, setting a boundary, again, a boundary, a kind boundary, that I'm not equipped for this. All right, social media, here, social media. How many of you love it that your teens have an iPhone? Does anybody wanna have a large bonfire with them like I do? So, I love this, um, by Dana Boyd. She's an activist and a scholar that studies the role of technology in teens' lives. And she says, teens are not addicted to their phones. They're addicted to each other. I thought that was brilliant, because they really are. Anybody else remembering wanting to be on the phone every minute you got home from school to talk to your friends, even though you've been with them for eight hours, you still had a lot more to say? So, yeah, they're no different. They're similar to us. They're seeking connection just like we're seeking connection, and they've been given this wonderful device that allows for 24-7 connection, and it feels really good. So it's tricky now because girls have – their time is so structured now, and they don't have those lazy afternoons to just hang out with their friends face-to-face and, you know, chat it up about the latest um, singer. I'm trying to think. Or the, anybody remember Tiger Beat magazine? Okay. We had a lot of discussions on Tiger Beat. So they need balanced time between their online lives and their in-person lives and their relationships. That's where we come in, where we can make it easy for them to have the in-person connections and maybe, you know, bring up those ideas about having get together at your house. You know, for example, I have to deal with a whole lot of rap music being played very loudly in my backyard so I can get these teenagers over. Do I like that? No. But I love that they're in my backyard hanging out face to face and learning to be competent, confident communicators. They say that eighty percent of communication occurs nonverbally. Eighty percent. So that's my facial expression, my tone of voice, my body language. I'm communicating so much. And when I'm texting or Instagramming, um, you're not getting that. And so when I'm face-to-face with you, when our girls get to experience that, I get to experience when I said that, I get to see and feel how that impacted you. Now I become a more competent communicator. So that face-to-face interaction balancing is super important. Girls that have troubled relationships on, in person, they'll mirror that online you'll see some of that negativity and nastiness online. Girls that have healthy, positive relationships in person, for the most part, they'll mirror that online as well, and they'll just grow those relationships in that way online as well. So just a little side note about technology and helping them to be the wonderful communicators we want them to be. If we can take, and maybe you're already doing this, taking technology out of what are normal face-to-face interaction times, like meal times or... um, you know, if you guys are out in nature, if you're taking a walk or a hike, or if you're on a short car ride. Um, I know I have a lot of teenagers looking at me like I am insane when, I ask, when they get in my car, and I'm like, okay, guys, time to put the phones away. We're all going to talk to each other. The humans in the car are going to talk. And they're like, what? They hate it, but we do it. I don't mind being the crazy one in that way. So what if she has no tribe? I have had a lot of moms and dads come and talk to me about that fear and that worry, feeling like... Their daughter is isolated or doesn't have enough friends or doesn't have any good friends. So sometimes I think it's good to gather some information. I think school, since she's there so many hours a day, the school can provide you with a lot of great information about what's happening in class, between classes, lunch, electives, um, extracurriculars. What is she doing? How is she interacting? How are people responding to her? Asking someone at school or a few people to observe her for you so you can kind of get the full picture. Because um, sometimes our girls are bringing only the worst-case scenario home to us, and it sounds really devastating. And it may not be as bad as she's saying. It may be. And asking schools sometimes if they can provide opportunities for her to connect in a different way. If there's volunteer opportunities, I've had a girl that became a teacher's aide with a couple of other girls expressly to have time with them and to develop a better friendship with them, and it worked. And um, Project work, connecting with girls, seating assignments, just seeing if there's anything that they can do to help in that way. And then of course, hooking them up with girls outside of school any chance you can, whether it's a class or a team or a summer camp. Um, I've had girls come back from a summer camp and truly be very, very different girls than when they left. Because of that different experience, they arrived with a clean slate. No one knows who I am. No one has any preconceived notions about me or my reputation. I get to practice who I think I really am in this moment. I get to practice a new identity or persona. I get to practice communication skills um, without being so fearful. And then they take the experience of that, the newfound, hopefully, confidence and comfort within themselves, and they bring it to school with them. And people can feel the difference. It's all about an energy exchange. They can feel there's something a little off. And I mean often a good way. She's a little different. She seems a little bit more um, comfortable with herself. And then, therefore, I react differently to her because of it. So the last piece, and then we'll do some questions and answers, is, you know, sometimes we hear about that our girls are the mean ones, that are the ones that um, are repeatedly hurting other girls or their friends. Um, researchers obviously say that girls bully. We know this. And why? A lot of times, girls bully in order to connect with their peers. So it's a way of creating a sense of belonging and um, having something to talk about, creating excitement in your world and your group. It alleviates boredom. And it brings them together. It works. So they don't really have the maturity yet, in many cases, to be able to bond, to know how to bond with positive interests. So they're on their way there. They're learning that, but it explains why it exists. So, you know, of course, we're going to let our girls know that bullying or being mean is unacceptable and punishable in some cases. And then sometimes our girls need help. They need to go to a counselor or a coach and figure out, you know, what's behind that behavior? What am I seeking? What am I wanting? Why do I do that? Because I want to get something. And a lot of times it is getting them what they want, but there are other ways to get it where they won't you know, get in trouble or lose friends, potentially. Um, and then I have a monthly newsletter where, as I said, my whole goal is to help. And so once a month I send out a newsletter with a video or text where I'm, I pick a topic and I'm offering suggestions and help based on that. And um, YouTube, people love free stuff. I have a YouTube channel, Barb Steinberg LMSW. So it's all free, obviously free, videos on a wide variety of topics. Every time I get a question from a parent or a girl, I create a video about it because I'm hoping to answer as many questions as I can and give as much help and support as I can. So there's that. And then I think I mentioned to you Facebook, Barb Steinberg LMSW. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session, And any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.